What's up, everyone? This is episode 226 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. All right, well, welcome, everyone. I hope you're having a great week so far. I hope your team drafted the players you wanted to add to your roster, unless you're a Pistons fan. And I know a lot of people reached out to me asking what I thought of the Pacers pick. They ended up swapping with Washington and grabbing Jairus Walker at uh, pick number eight, I think officially is what it was. I don't watch a lot of college ball, but I like what I've seen of him so far. They needed a four. They needed someone who was big and athletic. They needed someone that could defend. I think they got all those things in Walker. Now, as I was watching the draft, though, you know, mind you that I wasn't just interested in the Pacers pick. I made it a point to keep an eye on social media at the same time to see if the card companies had any type of representation there at all or anything going on on their website related to the draft. And while I didn't see anything that indicated Tops was on site, they were pretty quick to put up a Dutch auction if we haven't had enough of those already, a Dutch auction for Victor Wimbanyama autos numbered 199 or lower. And as you might imagine, those were not cheap, but they went pretty quick. And then later on, I believe Tops had additional cards of some of the top picks wearing their draft night suits. Obviously, no team names or anything like that. I think the design was nearly identical to what they had for the NFL draft, which was kind of ugly in my opinion, but I'm glad they offered something. And that's more than can be said for Panini, the company that actually has the NBA license. We didn't get any cards from them, and I suppose we were lucky to get any sort of social media coverage as well. I saw they posted something from the Thompson Twins earlier that day, who, mind you, already have a ton of cards out in the OTE Tops products. Well, now they're Panini exclusives. But other than that, we didn't get any draft-related content from Panini until two and a half hours into the draft. It was 10.30 before we got something. And to their credit, they showed us a lot more than they did last year. We saw guys signing their sticker autos for the Draft Night Auto set, which has been a thing since like 2017 now. So I'm happy about that. You might remember I specifically requested that on last week's episode. But in all of this Panini coverage, though, there wasn't anything from the top three picks, which I don't think, you know, we don't have any official word that they are tops exclusives although they did have autographs with tops now um you know i want to say victor is for sure but i don't even think we've heard that so i don't want to say that officially so that's not what i'm saying here but anyway you know that might be part of the reason why there was so much of a delay from panini the only panini athletes that we know of so far they're select ones and starting with pick number four with the thompson twins and then you know by the time those guys filled their other obligations media and all that stuff, they were already well into the night. So like I said, I don't know for sure. That's just a guess. You know, I'll try to give them an out if there is one there, but uh, it did seem kind of strange. Either way, I think Paul Lesko's tweet after the draft summed up everything nicely. And he wrote in all caps, mind you, congratulations to Tops and Panini for coming out with equally disappointing NBA draft products and proving exclusive licenses hurt the hobby. All right, before I move into today's conversation, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com. 
your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 31 million trading cards, from baseball's biggest stars like Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, and Mookie Betts, to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man, Thor, and Captain America. CompC has something for every type of collector. Visit CompC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. Additionally, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is shopping through my affiliate links like eBay and Amazon. And using these links costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time. But it helps support the show. To access these links, simply go to WaxMuseumPodcast.com, click whatever logo of whatever store you're planning to shop at, Shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so joining me today is a friend of mine that's no stranger to this show, Evan, I believe this is your fourth appearance, but the first since October of 2021. So it's been a while. Those that are part of the message board world, they know you as Geech Quest. Others might know you as Geech Quest cards on Instagram. I think there's even a small group of people that refer to you as that Panini insert guy. Evan, welcome back, man. How's it going? It's going. How are you? I'm doing all right. Are you cool with the insert guy label? Man, I don't, I guess I don't have a choice, but no. Well, obviously we chatted about that on this show before. It's It's been a while, but to this day, I still have people ask me about it. And on your last appearance, you said you were oblivious to any new releases. And while I didn't bring you on here to talk about Panini, I have to ask, have you had the itch yet to jump back in and update that insert list or are we not quite there yet? Uh, someone on the forum wanted to see what I, you know, I can't pronounce the name just off the top. He's been updating it. One day I'll update it. I'm not kidding. A few times a month, I feel like my Instagram blows up. And someone's like, can you go update the list, please? Color Color Blast ain't it anymore, bro. Do you know that? And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'll update it. I'll move it to Ryan's site eventually. That's what I'll do. I'll copy paste it and move it over there. Okay, there you go. So there's a plug for the hobby boards. If you're interested, uh, he's kind of teasing us a little bit here because I thought the answer was going to be the insert thread is is dead. I've passed it on, but no, it will possibly come back. So that's good news to hear. You know, when Panini finally hangs up their stuff, I'll go and all right, now we have bookends. Let's rank everything. They can't release anything else. All right, perfect. So it sounds like you're kind of waiting for all that to happen and the fanatic stuff to shake out here. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, a little bit about Fanatics. It seems like we're learning more and more about their plans with each passing week. And this past week, Tops released a new set of terms and conditions for retailers, which, from what I understand, is a fairly normal thing for a manufacturer to do. But it prompted a lot of discussion on social media. So I felt like it was worth addressing here as well. And before we go ahead and jump in, I do want to add a couple of disclaimers. And and Evan, you can jump in here because I don't want to speak for you necessarily. But uh, number one, I would say, as always, when we're discussing source material, I encourage people to go and read said source material. I don't want my thoughts and you know what I'm reading here to be the only representation of that. And then number two, I would say I am not an expert on all things hobby shops. Uh, Evan, you know, obviously I've been to shops, I've talked to shop owners, you know, I've spent a lot of time in shops, but never worked at one. So Evan, kind of what's your level of expertise 
or level of involvement with shops? So, I mean, legitimately, I have no expertise. I'm an idiot. But I've helped a few local shops before get their ducks in a row. We're talking pre-COVID. You know, it doesn't really matter what you're in. At the end of the day, this is just business and shops are just businesses. So there are business tactics you can do. And so we'll get into the letter, I guess, in a bit. But there's nothing really, there's no difference between what a card manufacturer would want and let's say what a shoe manufacturer would want. And I've dealt with different things. So do I know the ins and outs of ordering from a distributor? Yeah. Do I know like what upper deck requires to hold their license? Uh, not anymore. I haven't seen it in a while, but I used to. Yeah. And and I don't want to jump the gun here, but kind of along those same lines, I know people were uh, pretty worked up about these terms and conditions over the past week, at least some people that I saw. Um, I didn't think it was a lot of that stuff was all that bad. And, and we'll discuss this as we go. Um, you know, obviously there were some things that concerned me. If if we're going to knock fanatics for stuff, as, as I've talked about in recent weeks, there's plenty of legitimate stuff that they're doing that I don't like right now. But this maybe is not as bad as it seems. So we'll go ahead and we'll dive right in here. I'm going to try and summarize these maybe one or two at a time, and we'll just uh, stop and discuss anything that sticks out to us along the way. So they sent out these terms and conditions. It had 16 points. It had a code of conduct. It had uh, some other sort of agreement as well. And the first point out of those 16 states to receive access to and maintain a TOPS direct buying account, retailer must maintain an active account in good standing at all times, which may include minimum purchase and other requirements specified by TOPS from time to time. So you said you've helped out with some shops before. What do you remember about minimum purchase? Is that something okay. we've seen? Uh, so the shop I'm specifically referencing is no longer in business in Austin, but Tops specifically, I know, at, at least for this shop, we never had a minimum purchase we had to purchase, but we would have pre-orders. And at the time, this is 2010 to 2015, okay? So this is kind of a lull. You buy as much as you want. And Tops would print to order. So if you got 100 shops saying we want 100 cases, you know, tops will probably go over 20% and that would be the run. It, it sounds like now what they're wanting is more like what a, a licensed sneaker retailer would want, because I've done that too, where the sneaker retailer says, look, in order to sell Nike shoes, for example, you have to take on X amount of product every week, month, year, pre-agreed. We're just going to ship you the product. You're going to distribute it as you see fit. So you may not want to buy, I don't know, like all the grandpa new balances because you're going, well, I can't move those. Like, no, no, no. If you want anything from us, you're going to be taking on a hundred pairs of new balance a month. It's honestly pretty standard fare. It's not what I remember tops doing in the past. Like I said, they were print to order, order as much for as little as you want, but it, it seems like it's pretty standard fare. Yeah. And I think things from what I've heard from shop owners, things had already kind of moved to that anyway. You know, it'd be like, hey, if you want, uh, you know, the new prism basketball, you've got to take on, I don't know, Panini USA, you know, under 16 baseball or whatever it is that that doesn't sell on the other end. I mean, yeah, I know this is like 2016, 2017. I remember a ton of 2012 marquees sitting in the distributors and they were like, you want flawless this year? you're taking on three cases of marquee for every case of flawless you get. And so if you want a ton of flawless, I remember a shop in San Antonio guy had like two pallets of marquee and two pallets of past and present, like five years post dated. 
because that's that's just what the distributor would make you do um, mm-hmm. to take on the product. I can't remember ever dealing directly with Panini. To get Panini product, we'd mostly go through distributors. But like I said, Tops never really made you do that at the time. They may have segued to that. It was smart. You pre-sell all your product. All right. So point number two on this whole terms and conditions document says that retailers, and this is me paraphrasing here, but they're going to have to adhere to a code of conduct that was sent along with it. And that had seven points on it. The first five are basically ones that I don't think anyone's going to have an issue with. So I'm not going to run through all those, but it's stuff like don't do anything illegal, be professional, don't discriminate, and so on. I do want to read the last two for you, though, and get your thoughts on those. I can see where Tops is coming from, but I thought they were interesting nonetheless. So it said, a retailer shall not violate, disparage, or disrepute the name, which that's the first time I've ever seen that used as a verb, um, the name, reputation, logo, or property of Tops, its licensors, or their respective parent companies, subsidiaries, affiliates, agents, or employees, and retailers shall avoid any conflicts of interest and be truthful in representation of Tops and its products. Now, to me, those seemed a little bit, you know, that could put someone in a conundrum here. It seems a little bit contradictory here. They want you to be truthful about the products, but they don't want you to put down the product and the brand, right? Is that the way you understand that? I mean, that's kind of how I read it. it but it's what they're probably saying is like, hey, you can tell these people the odds of pulling XYZ card because it's represented on the pack, but don't tell them like these odds are crazy. The product sucks. You know, don't disparage it that way. Yeah, I can see why Tops would do this, but um, it is uh, a little bit unfortunate, I guess. But yeah, I completely understand why they would do that. Again, it just seems like, you know, I think the hobby is so used to operating kind of like handshake agreements. And I don't want to say unprofessional, but I mean, let's it's unprofessional. It's not organized. It's a hobby, you know, it's a hobby where businesses spring up and fanatics is a multi-billion dollar business. I think they're valued at like 30 billion, I think was what they want to IPO at. And you're not going to disparage, you're not going to carry a product of a billion dollar company and disparage them. (laughs) They'll just cut you off. They don't need you. Yeah. So like I said, I completely understand that, but uh, you're not going to see some of these shop owners uh, telling the truth about fanatics in some instances. They're just going, they're not going to lie to you. They're just not going to say anything. Right. Or they will. I mean, how do you really enforce that? Yeah. I mean, and and we'll get to that later. Are there going to be fanatic special agents floating around? Like, let's be real here. All right. So the next, uh, let's go back to that original terms paper here. Number three says tops products will be shipped to stores in the U.S., If forwarded elsewhere, you have to pay the freight. Okay, no big deal. Number four, shops have to have a valid credit card on file. We're not going to discuss that. And then number five, all accounts must purchase in full case quantities and any retailer attempting to return product or refusing shipments may have their accounts suspended or terminated. Do you have anything to add there? I remember when people were ransacking targets and Walmarts, it was risk-free because you could just return product if you couldn't flip it. So that was just the first thing when I read that, what came to my mind is like, I don't know if dealers were doing that, if they were like ordering from Peach State and if they couldn't flip it within the first week or two of release, just returning it back to Peach State. I don't know if they were doing that, but it's pretty funny. Uh, Purchasing in full case quantities, you don't have to purchase in full case quantities from a distributor. GTS, Southern Hobby, any of them, I can purchase by the box if I want. So if you're like a small time mom and pop shop, probably not going to be able to afford to purchase what Tops is about to dump on you. Yeah, well, and and we'll also get into this later, but if you're a a small mom and pop shop and you're looking to have a Tops Direct account, it ain't going to happen. 
Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, not all tops products are made available to all accounts. So that's another thing they might do. They might just say, Hey, uh, we're not going to send you this stuff because you're not moving it. Number seven, tops does not guarantee a specified value or the continued availability of any product. They don't guarantee the availability of replacement product uh, for lost or damaged shipments by delivery carriers either. So what do you make of that? Honestly, what, what most of this reads to me is that they are going to pre-sell out all product, which by the way, is Penny's been sold out for the most part for a long time. So I think this is just going like, look, we're not keeping anything in the back. I can't replace it for you. If it gets damaged in freight, it gets damaged in freight. Not our problem. Right. Um, sorry about your luck. Sorry about your luck. That At, at least that's how I'm taking that. Uh, prepare for shrinkage. All right. <laughs> you got me thinking about Seinfeld here. All yeah. right. Um, number eight. Number eight is where things get really interesting. Uh, some of the other stuff has been more or less legal, legal, you know, or just typical business stuff. Uh, but this is where the expectations seem a lot more strict than we've seen from other manufacturers in the past. It says, products purchased through an account are for distribution through the store identified in the account information attached here to only. For clarity, Products are for resale to directly consumers in a physical retail brick or mortar environment only in the product's original unopened formed, i.e. no business to business or online sales unless otherwise agreed by tops in writing. Now we're only halfway through point eight there, but we got to stop because there's already quite a bit of stuff to unpack there. You and I talked about this a little bit before we got on. But the business to business side of this is crucial. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like if you've ever tried to purchase the cheapest boxes and cases, whatnot, inevitably, if you're smart, you'll end up on DealerNet, which is where all the dealers sell to each other. But I, I mean, I've bought off DealerNet. I don't think I've ever sold on there personally, but I've bought off there. You just have to get approved, right? I mean, it's almost like an old, yeah. old message board where oh, it's wax is sold and traded. Oh, it's great too, because you know, Flawless will come out. Like they'll release flawless and shops will want twenty five hundred a box, but I'll go on DealerNet and I can pick it up for seventeen hundred because that's what dealers are going to transact it for. Because you know DealerNet's really the true market of this stuff um, because that's where the majority of wax is moved. Like you said, business to business, it does kind of read like yeah, whoever runs that DealerNet server and is paying what is it GeoCities? Is that the, is right. that's, that's what, it, that's what it looks like? Yeah, <laughs> that's what it looks pretty like. archaic. Whoever's paying that fifty dollars server fee is about to get squeezed out, which you know. At the end, that's what all is going to happen is everybody's going to get squeezed. If you were making margin, your margins are going to get squeezed. So if your margins weren't high enough, you'll get squeezed out. This is just another thing that'll probably hurt shops. When shops are hurting and can't move product, they can always move it to other shops. I've done that for shops around. We've moved, you know, no, there's no shop in Austin that's like one of the biggest in the country. So if we have product that we can't move and we need to roll over inventory, we were always able to go to DealerNet and sell it to some of the bigger shops in the country. It doesn't sound like you're going to be able to do that anymore. And I, I'm almost wondering, you know, if they're taking this great resource away, is, is Tops or is Fanatics going to try and replicate that somehow? And obviously, you know, they are trying to take the middleman out of everything. So it would be in a way that still benefits them. But uh, you have to wonder if there's not going to be something that could take its place. I would imagine um, that they'll have something on the back end for all licensed dealers. Like, yeah, you guys can commute on here and we're going to take our percentage here too. Okay, so the second half of number eight here says retailers shall not use its account for personal shopping and products shall not be used for repacks unless authorized in writing in advance. Retailer may use Tops products for in-store breaks provided that 
breaking slots may not be sold or solicited online or to anyone not physically present in retailer store at the time of the break. Evan, how many breaks have you done where all 30 teams are represented in person? Never. Never, right? It's so I've never seen it either. I've never seen it done either. Because I think even every physical break that I've seen, there's always someone calling up their buddy to fill the rest of the spots. I just can't imagine the logistics of trying to do something like this and and think how much it's gonna slow these stores down when that are doing the breaking. Like, yeah, you can still do it. It's all gotta be in person. Every person is supposedly is has to be there. It's almost in a way that's almost like forcing ethics. I want to absolve myself of ending up on a card porn story or something. Fanatics like I'm already aware that this is going to happen. You're not going to sully our name by jacking our product online because you're not going to break online with our product. I'm sure they'll have designated breakers. Yeah. The sleight of hand on camera is, <laughs> yeah. is slightly easier than sleight of hand in person. So yeah. there's no more going to the door uh, and, and switching out a Brandon <laughs> Cook's card. Oh, Everyone's no. going to be there in person to see it. No, all you magicians get back to the street and start performing. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can't go saw someone in half. It's... Right. All right. So number nine here says accounts are expected to maintain standard business hours and remain open a minimum of seven hours per day six days a week, or eight hours per day, five days per week, unless otherwise approved in writing by tops. Evan, can you imagine that they actually want shops to function as full-time shops and have real hours? Uh, the shop that I had to help close down was open, I think, 12 to three, five days a week. And and that's just not going to cut it. And uh, I know I've had to make, there There was a local shop around here whenever I wanted to buy a box, which was rare. I actually, believe it or not, I used to buy Allen and Ginter. It wasn't even basketball stuff. If I wanted to go buy new Allen and Ginter boxes, I had to do it on like one of three days and I had to like plan my schedule around it. That's how difficult it was to get a new product. Right. Again, it may suck if you're the shop owner, because you have to jump through all these regulatory hoops, but that doesn't seem too wild if you're just trying to participate in the hobby. And Either you're going to do it or you're not. Like you got to actually commit to this if you're going to do it and you're going to sell their product. Now, this isn't to say that these smaller shops won't still exist. They just won't have a direct account from top. So they're going right. to be sending their lackeys to Target or they're going to be using their you know MJ Holdings connections or whatever uh, for the time being. Right. All right. Um, number 10, expiration dates as listed on each each offering uh, are strictly enforced. Number 11, uh, basically 11 says all products have a release date. Stop selling stuff before that. I think that's reasonable. Um, number 12, accounts are encouraged. So this isn't even mandatory. Accounts are encouraged to participate in uh, like the MVP buyback promotions, uh, International Trading Card Day, Tops Day, and then you can't sell those packs, those promotional packs. So once again, it, it, they're just taking some of the shady things that have been happening and putting some parameters into play there, right? Right, that's what it sounds like. Okay, now here's where it gets interesting once again. And I don't know how exactly to take this, so I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Number 13, and it's kind of long, I'll try and skim it though. Retailers shall on a quarterly basis or at such other frequency as TOPS may require submit to TOPS complete and accurate reports regarding total sales of products, sales by channel, uh, and then they go through a bunch of stuff, customer type, social media metrics. Um, and then it basically says, additionally, retailers shall participate in TOPS point of sale programs and in surveys distributed by TOPS on topics such as overall operations, information, customer reactions to products, and so on. It says, for clarity, in no event will retailer provide TOPS with any personally identifiable information regarding its customers, employees, or otherwise. 
I'm not sure. Does that include an email? You know where I'm going with this, right? Let's put the tinfoil on. Let's put it on. All right. So so they are obviously trying to eliminate the middlemen. Um, And I would even go as far to say that to an extent, the shop. The Uh, shop is a middleman. The the shop shop is is a middleman, middleman, right? So that they kind of have to play nice with the shops a little bit just because of the place they've had in in the history of the hobby. But if they get all those customers' email and information and they know what they're buying already on a regular basis, you know, if I buy eight cases of Prism, which I'm not a maniac, but if I did, then you're going to just email me saying, you know, here's the new price on the case of Prism, right? 100%. That is what's going to happen. This is why they want all this data. This is the Amazon model, actually. This is what Amazon does to people is if you have a store on Amazon, so let's say I was selling stuff on Amazon. Amazon has all their backdoor metrics because I'm doing it online, but they collect all the data on your sales and figure out which products sell, what do you move, what don't you move. And if you start moving, so let's say a shop, let's say there's a shop in Austin where I'm at, and Austin's just the number one place for optic basketball in the country. Fanatics would probably push all the optic basketball here. And then eventually, like you said, they'd have the data of where optic sells and they'd cut that shop off from selling. Mm -hmm. Because like, nope, we're not going to let you make margin. So Amazon does this. If you're like a big Lego seller on Amazon, you sell the same Legos over and over and it does really well. Amazon just cuts you off and you get blocked. You can't sell Legos anymore. We're going to sell the Legos now. So this is what I read when they're wanting to collect all the data from everywhere. They want to know what areas of the country sell what to slowly whittle people out. Did you think they can sell products at card shows or conventions? How did you read some of this other stuff in here? No, I read it like if I'm a shop, I'm blowout, blowout sets up at the national and I'm going to have a Topps Direct account and I have my, my big table. I'm going to report how much product I sold. It just has to go through a modern POS system. Uh, which I don't know how many card shops I've been in where like they try to discourage me from paying with a credit card. Of course, yeah, I'm handshaking you with cash. Yeah, like I'm using the old corner store cash register. It's like, unfortunately, the majority of card shops, there's just not a lot of modern stuff about them, which I know there's been a lot of criticisms about card shops in the past and I want to try and defend card shops, but some of that criticism is legitimate. Some of these shops are operating like it's, you know, the 1980s. And that's just not going to cut it. And I think Fanatics is going to, um, you know, cut that off right at the start. And the other thing that they're doing, only because I'm on my blowout at the national thought, you know, blowout puts out that it's called the mega mix or whatever. Garbage. They're not going to be able to do it anymore. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to combine products. It said, I, I guess you get written consent is what one of these things said. But it sounds like, you know, the way you and I, the end consumer purchases, it's not going to change immediately. But the way all these shops have to operate, it's going to change yeah, it's going to change immediately. They, they're just going to bring them up to speed with what every other retailer basically deals with. All right. Now, point number 14 was in all caps, and I don't really understand why. Uh, it could just be somebody hit the caps lock key because I think the, the heading for this paper also said conduct of conduct instead of code of conduct. So I don't know if it had much of an editor here. So it says retailer acknowledges that tops may from time to time issue or release unilateral suggested or minimum price policies, which may be specific to certain channels and or product releases. And then I'll move on down here. It says suggestions uh, do not create a requirement that retailer offer or sell the tops product at such price. Retailer shall at any time and in its sole discretion determine and control the price at which tops products are sold by retailer 
to its consumers. What's going on there? It reads similar to the map pricing that Panini did a bit. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, so they had a map program, which basically like, I'm going to give you 2012 Prism because this was... I, this might have been the first product that was done under the MAP program, actually. But I'm going to set your MSRP for what you can sell it for, and you cannot sell it below that price uh, until a certain day comes. And I'll tell you when that day is. It might be 30, 45 days out. I forget what it was. You know, and that was necessary. So there wasn't a race to the bottom back in the day. It hasn't. It, it hasn't been necessary recently because now you almost have the other problem on the other end of the spectrum but that's that's how that reads like you don't get to set your price we're going to set the price and you're going to adhere to the pricing structures that we set you know they maybe after a year they'll allow shops their own discretion but it really sounds like these shops are just going to become employees of fanatics they're just mm -hmm. going to be the arms of fanatics well, and I've heard someone even suggest that, hey, maybe Fanatics will just take over the branding of some of these stores that are doing it really well. And it just becomes a Fanatics store, which, you know, who knows where that we're way down the line from that. But I, I wouldn't uh, rule it out. I don't think we're that far down the line, honestly. Whenever this gets implemented, probably within two or three years, you're going to see a bunch of shops fall off because they won't they won't be able to maintain what Fanatics is going to ask of them. Yeah. And I think those shops are, are a lot of them are well on their way anyway. You know, yeah, everyone everyone thought this boom was going to last forever, and uh, we had a lot of shops, you know, coming up out of out of nowhere. And it's just like, man, I I don't know if this is the right time. But uh, anyway, I don't want to dance on their graves or anything like that. So we'll we'll move no. on here. Um, so the last three points on that paper were really just legal stuff. So I do want to go into the the final part, which was called Exhibit B Retail Standards. And just kind of talk through some of the things that Fanatics said they wanted to see in shop. So they have to display the top signage. That's normal. That's something that shops have done with signage for years now. I know like I've got a FLIR sign here at the house that I bought from someone that was in a shop at one point. Tops products must be neatly organized and displayed to customers and sold in a tops only section. Um, retailers are encouraged to procure and maintain modern digital point of sale machines which you should probably do for your uh, records keeping anyway. Retailer is required to advertise or promote Tops products on its social media channels and through email marketing at least 12 times a calendar year, at least two times per year or otherwise upon request. Retailer shall provide pictures of each of the retailer's retail locations and its Tops retail displays, which... You know, it, it, that's a lot easier than a rep coming in, I would think. It's like when you move the plant, when the fire marshals come into work. And then right. retailers are encouraged to provide dedicated space for customers to open product in store and to host in-person events, which side note, I think shops should have that anyway. And then retailers will, will at all times provide safe, clean, legally compliant and adequate outlets necessary for the proper merchandising and selling of Topps products. Evan, do you have any issues with any of those? No, they should add uh, retailers will maintain general hygiene. Okay, yeah. And and you got to actually stay in the store. You can't go out the back door and smoke and you know do all this <laughs> other stuff, right? Uh, it's been a while since I've seen that. But oh yeah, when I was the only one uh, 10 years ago visiting these card stores before things blew up, I'm always pulling up out front and seeing the owner smoking every time. <laughs> 
So, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think Fanatics really wants to deal with that kind of stuff anymore. And and quite frankly, I can't blame them. So it seems like pretty common stuff. I tried to find any sort of Panini or Upper Deck agreements. Um, I just couldn't find anything. So I can't remember ever seeing it. I, the shops I dealt with, none of them uh, jumped through the hoops to even uh, obtain the Upper Deck license. It was too arduous to even snag that. That's kind of what this is reminiscent to me of is when Upper Deck, you had to be licensed Upper Deck dealer. You still do to sell Upper Deck product. No shop in. Austin, we had three at the time. No shop sold it. All right. So I think we pretty much covered everything in there. And I know I've kind of given my summary at the start, but when you hear all this stuff and see all this stuff, do you have any closing thoughts or any anything you want to leave listeners with today? I don't want to speculate too much. Again, I don't think like the end user in the hobby is really going to feel the effects of this per se. It just may be they're going to have to consume their cards a different way than they were used to. Or someone can see this as an opportunity and reach for this license themselves if they think they can do it right. I don't necessarily think shops are going completely away. It just might be that your shop may not carry modern product. You know, maybe mm-hmm. shops are going to have to search for older product and foment other avenues to generate profit. Quite um, honestly, the stores that can't keep up with this account now, their allocation's probably been cut to pieces anyway these last few years. So, uh, you know, I, I think a, a lot point. of people were already on this course and and you mentioned collecting differently. So, you know, we're just constantly having to evolve. And, and if you really, if you can't do that, you're not going to survive. That goes for collectors, that goes for shops. I know it is a hobby and that sounds kind of harsh, but uh, it, you're listening to a hobby podcast. So obviously, you know, you get it. Right. You know, that's anything in life. You're going to have to adapt to different circumstances throughout life. You can't always get what you want. All right. Well, Evan, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule today. I I think I'm taking your lunch time here. So I I really do appreciate that. Before I let you go, though, I do want to give you a chance real quick. If you want to plug your social media handles or anything else you're working on at the moment, these next few moments here are yours. Um, the, the IG I have is Geach Quest Cards. I put that out there. You won't see me post. I don't think I posted in like a year on it, but I hang out in the uh, private messaging. So you can always message me on there. I have Twitter burners. I'm not going to give out. <laughs> I'm on blowout occasionally. So if you message me on blowout, I'll respond. And, you know, eventually what I've been doing probably over the past year is I was going to set up a secondary, like a shadow IG account for doing something in the hobby that I don't think anybody's doing. And I've slowly, it's a slow process, but eventually there will be a new IG account that I have. No one's going to know it's me. It's going to be like my card porn account. This is going to be cards. It's going to be showing showing other cards people may not have seen. I, people say like I did that with the uh, inserts, which I think is silly. I didn't, but you know, there's there's still tons of stuff that hasn't been seen by a lot of people. So trying to foment that, like, hey, if you're feeling discouraged because you can't spend X Y Z on this, there are these cards that you probably didn't know that match up well with the pair well, like a like a wine pairing or something like that. Okay, perfect. So yeah, so what a tease. We will be on the watch for that. No burner accounts here. You can find me. I guess I've got Rip Gods. I've got Dead Shots cards. And then, of course, Wax Museum podcast. You can find me on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum podcast.